anyone who's ever emailed me and said, hey, I think I found a new undesigned coincidence will know that the way I will initially respond, if it's not one that I've thought about before, will be to say, give me some time to think about it. And I try to be that way too with uh, new things that I see that I think may be undesigned coincidences within the Gospels. I try to kind of take my time and ponder about them a little bit. It is a uh, cumulative argument, and so they are not all going to be of equal strength, but I, I just like to see whether it meets a certain level of strength, in my opinion, before I endorse it publicly. So that's why I only add suggested new undesigned coincidences rather slowly. The one I'm going to be talking about today could also be called an external confirmation. Sometimes these categories kind of flow into one another. If you're new to my work and you don't know what an undesigned coincidence is, I don't want to take a lot of time in this video to explain it, but it's an interlocking between different texts such that they explain one another in an apparently casual fashion. Uh, sometimes I'll call it a casual connection that points to truth. And if you check uh, my book, Hidden in Plain View, you can find a lot more examples in the Gospels and also between Acts and the Pauline Epistles. So today's one is one that I've not seen published anywhere else and that I have not endorsed previously. And it came to my attention in some recent research I was doing as I'm attempting to draft a new popular level book. It begins with a passage in Luke 13. I've used this passage before to discuss Jesus' personality, an aspect that I call his sarcasm. And it's just Luke 13, 31 to 33. Just at that time, some Pharisees came up saying to him, go away and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. So there's that almost bitter sound uh, in what Jesus says that I call sarcasm. It cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. This passage occurs in a section that's sometimes called the central section of Luke or the travelogue section of Luke. And it's it's been a cause of the spilling of a lot of ink among scholars. I may be discussing it in the next video as well. Luke keeps mentioning that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem and yet Jesus seems to sort of move around a lot geographically. It does not look like a single journey to Jerusalem. It begins with Luke 9.51. And he, he emphasizes there that Jesus is leaving Galilee because the time is approaching for him to be, he says, taken up. And, um, what, you know, whatever exactly that means. It becomes pretty evident, especially in some of the sayings sections here, that Luke is narrating what I've called achronologically uh, in many places in this, in this middle section, adding material that he had that he doesn't necessarily know exactly when it took place. Sometimes he emphasizes that it took place when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem at some point, um, but he's not necessarily intending to give a chronological order to these things. As they say, you see that especially in saying sections here where he just sort of, you know, puts in a lot of sayings on a certain topic and so forth. Um, and that's what I call a chronological narration. Nonetheless, I think it's 
safe to say, if only um, somewhat weakly, you know, I'm not going to bet my life on this, but that it looks like when this incident occurs, Jesus has left Galilee. And we can say this partly because of the statement that he set his face to go to Jerusalem uh, because the time had come for him to be received up. But also um, because of the way that the Pharisees speak to him. You know, if he is still in Galilee and he's heading out of Galilee to Jerusalem, there's a main pilgrim way that goes out. If he's just going straight out of Galilee, you know, the obvious answer is, I'm leaving Herod's jurisdiction. Why are you bothering me? You know, why would they come up and say this to him if he's uh, still in Galilee, but he's, you know, heading right out? So it looks like he's, I would say, we can weakly argue, not in Galilee at this point, but he's in Herod's jurisdiction nonetheless. And it's maybe not immediately evident to them uh, where he's going right now or that he's going to Jerusalem. Now, um, Luke shows knowledge that Herod was Tetrarch of Galilee, which is true. We have that externally confirmed. And uh, this comes up in Luke 3, 1 and 2, which is this wonderful little passage where Luke lists all of these rulers, including some rather obscure ones. And, and we can confirm that they, you know, there was an overlap period, this sort of, you know, Venn diagram when they all ruled at the same time. Um, and he mentions Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee. He mentions that again in Luke 23, where Pilate finds out that Jesus is a Galilean during the trial, and so he sends him briefly to Herod, but Jesus will not talk to Herod. Um, he doesn't have a lot of respect for him, as you can see in this passage. Again, that's mentioning Herod's jurisdiction in Galilee, but Luke doesn't mention any other area where Herod had jurisdiction. So this sort of raises a question. If Jesus is not in Galilee, why are they speaking as though he's in Herod's jurisdiction? They're saying, leave here because Herod wants to kill you. We don't know whether they really had any evidence to that effect. The Gospels say that Herod wanted to see him, that he wanted to maybe see Jesus work a miracle. He was curious and so forth. But um, not that he wanted to kill kill him. They may have just been making that up. Um, and Jesus isn't necessarily accepting their word when he sends this sort of, you know, go, to, go tell Herod, this sort of message to Herod. It's really more of a message to them. But if he's not in Galilee, why are they talking this way? Within Luke itself, that question is not answered. If we go, however, to Mark 10, 1, it says, And rising up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. There's a parallel verse in, in Matthew as well. So Mark confirms, and this is, this is in fact um, when Jesus leaves, and then as you go on in Mark, you get to the final journey into Jerusalem for his last Passover. Um, so Matthew agrees with Mark on that, has a parallel passage, and then John does too. So we have the unanimous agreement among the other three Gospels that Jesus had a ministry beyond the Jordan. After they attempt to stone Jesus at the time of the Feast of um, the Dedication, which would be Hanukkah, John says, and he went away again, this is John ten forty, beyond the Jordan to the place where John 
was first baptized, and he was staying there, and many came to him. Okay, and so then it talks about his having a ministry and performing miracles and so forth. Um, and then Jesus goes back to Judea in John 11 to heal, uh, to raise Lazarus from the dead. His disciples are very nervous about that. And then after he raises Lazarus, it says um, that he went away from there. This is 1154 to a, the country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. And it, it doesn't, we don't know where Ephraim was. It could have been back over the Transjordan again. I have suggested, and I believe that possibly John A.T. Robinson also suggested this, that Luke 9.51 corresponds to Jesus traveling to Jerusalem in John 7 for the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, by the way, is right about this time here in the fall. The fall right before his crucifixion the following spring in the Passover and that he never returned to Galilee. Why am I saying all of this? Well, Mark, Matthew, and John all agree that Jesus had a ministry in the Transjordan toward the end of his life after he had gone south to Jerusalem. And he may even have gone back and forth a couple times from Jerusalem to the Transjordan. There was a region in the Transjordan known as Perea. So now we're getting to the punchline. And kind of you can find a map of it, kind of a, a, a strip over there on the east side of the Jordan River. And Josephus tells us that Herod Antipas was Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. So that's the external background information. And I believe this explains Luke 13 very well. And that Luke had sources that knew that this, this conversation took place. Whether they told Luke or not that it took place in Perea, maybe they didn't, okay? But that it would make a lot of sense that Jesus is going down there and during that six-month period approximately from the Feast of Tabernacles to the following Feast of Passover, he's staying out of Galilee, but he's going to Jerusalem for a couple of different feasts, and then he's going back to the Transjordan. He's having this Transjordan Perean ministry. So the Pharisees, you know, they don't necessarily know that now he's, you know, on his way to Jerusalem, even though I think his words indicate that he was either for one of the feasts or for the final uh, Passover. But, um, that he's having this ministry, which they didn't like, of course. Many people came to him there. And so they come and say, you know, go away from here, or Herod is going to kill you. Herod wants to kill you, uh, trying to, you know, taunt him. They probably knew better than to try to scare him, but to try to push him a little bit. And, and he has a very tart answer for them. So I think that the other Gospels discussion of that Transjordan ministry and allusion to that Transjordan ministry toward the end of Jesus' life, together with that information from Josephus that Herod was Tetrarch of Perea as well as of Galilee, explains this exchange in Luke. 
I think that's really cool. Uh, next time, I think I'm going to be talking a little bit more about how this central section of Luke might intersect with John, and I think I'll put that into the category of reconcilable variation, and I've had some more thoughts about that as I've been doing my research more recently. I also wrote about it some time ago, and so that's not, that's a little more conjectural. That's not quite as strong as this, but I think it's interesting and it'll fit with today's video. Please be sure to <clears throat> like and subscribe to this channel. Um, I'm also hoping possibly that the Eye of the Beholder may come out in Kindle form in between this week and next week. If it does, I'll probably have a brief announcement video of that that I'll put on here as well. So that'll, that'll come in between the two slightly more meaty videos if that happens. Please, again, be sure to like and subscribe to the Lydia McGrew YouTube channel, where we're making common sense rigorous.